How are we doing? Yeah, that was terrible. How are we doing? You know, when I get on the stage, I don't let you get away with low energy because as I always tell you, the more you give me, the better I preach, the better it is for everybody. Um, but I'm glad that we get to finish off this series going into next week, Vision Sunday. Uh, if you've been tracking with us, if you haven't, let me catch you up. We are His temple. It's a series where we've looked at the tabernacle, this, this pattern that God had given His people as a place that would house His presence. And the beautiful picture of the New Testament and the change that happens by Jesus taking on flesh for you and me, by the Holy Spirit actually being available to you and me, means that we are now called the temple of God, able to house His presence here now. It didn't change God's plan. God's plan, His desire, His heart has always been that He would desire, d that He would dwell with His people, that He would dwell with men and women, that He would call them out, that His presence would dwell with them. And you might be trying to track with us, and real, really my goal today is to actually help us bridge into Vision Sunday. Uh, I, I really want to set the table. There's gonna, I'm saying now, there's going to be no spoilers. You're going to have to come next week. I know very, a lot of us are excited to hear uh, what Vision 2023 is going to look like. But I hope to set the table because I think this is such a, a ramp up into Vision Sunday and what God will do with us. Because God does call us to be a people of presence. And so the place that the people meet is important because the presence is in the people and the place then matters. And I don't know if you know this, but the cat's out the bag. We have a plan to increase this place. And so it's important that every single one of us understand the heart, the motivation, and God's real roadmap and plan and blueprint for how He moves people as He sets us up as that people of presence, but also prepares a place where those people will meet. So our focus today is actually going to be spanning both the tabernacle and the temple. Uh, both were great works uh, that God commanded and called His people, the people of God, to actually do. And as we look at it, I hope you know that there is a great work for us in 2023 as City Hope Church. And my prayer, my plan, is that we would walk into it as a people prepared. The people of God were prepared in the Old Testament, prepared by God, prepared by His presence. I hope we would be the same, that we walk in prepared even into what He has for us. I've given this message the title, if you're taking notes, you can take it down. Uh, when the tent became stone. When the tent became stone. As we move from the mobile tabernacle and into the temple that actually would be made of stone, that's what we're going to be looking at. We're actually going to contrast and kind of bounce between uh, Exodus 35 and 1 Chronicles 28 and 29. Uh, two moments in the history of God's people in the nation of Israel. The one being led by Moses in the wilderness. God gives them the lays out the plan for the tabernacle, this mobile tent that would be his sanctuary as he dwelt in and amongst his people. And then fast forward generations he moves his people into the promised land he sets them up as a nation and now in the time where they have King David as king he actually calls David to be the one uh, to take them into building and constructing the now more permanent structure of the temple it was based on the same plan the same design the same layout but he in these moments actually is going to call for a contribution from his people materials skills all the resource that would be needed to actually make the construction happen. This is preparation for a great work. Does it sound familiar? Does it sound like it could connect to us as a people that God's got a great work for us this year and we, He wants us to walk in prepared? 
And so as we take a look at today, plan of action is I really want to take a big focus on prepping for big purpose from God. How do we prep for big purpose from God? And as we kind of look at these two passages and these two uh, moments in time for God's people, I want to bring out six key principles. Six key principles that are going to prep us as a people for this big purpose that God has for us. The very first one, if you're taking notes, you can take this down. Number one, God moves in we, not just in me. God moves in we, not just in me. This is how, how both of them kick off. In the first verse of Exodus 35, it says, Moses assembled all of the congregation of the people and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Likewise, in 1 Chronicles 28, very first verse, it says that David assembled at Jerusalem all the officials, all the officials of the tribes, the officers of the divisions, those who were over thousands, those who were over hundreds, the stewards of the property and livestock of the king, their sons are included in it the mighty men and all the seasoned warriors. It's the entire congregation of the people of God that get called together in this moment as the contribution will be called for. Now, I just wanna say this, as we wrap up this series and springboard into Vision Sunday, I hope that we don't get caught in the trap and the danger that our Western world has basically set us up in, where it becomes about me and I and we forget the we. Because don't get me wrong, it's really important that we understand the me. It's, under, it's, it's important to understand that God wants a relationship with you and me, intimately, personally. But when God moves, He will move a people. That when God moves a mission, a purpose for His people, He does it in the we. And so we have to hold the tension between the two. Actually, our Western world, our modern culture, is the first time in human history that, they, that we would look at God's word, that we would look at Christianity, that we would look at how God works in his kingdom, and our primary first lens that we, uh, we look through at it is an individual one. So I hope we don't get caught in the trap of that, because actually you could just go, you could go 100, 150 years ago and all the way back into history, and what you would find is people's first lens, primary lens, would be a collective one. When you're talking about the Old Testament people, the nation of Israel, they looked at God through a collective lens. When you looked at the first century, there was a collective lens. But this is something that is found in ancient cultures, this understanding. Individualism, the I-me focus is actually quite a modern phenomenon. And so it's important that we're aware of that because I, I don't want you to mishear me. It is important you know that Jesus saved you. It's important that you know that Jesus saves me. But... If we get caught there, we're gonna get very inward focused and forget that actually God works in an outward purpose. And when he works in an outward purpose, it's not in the I, it's in the we. And so we have to hold the tension of being inwardly intimate with God, but simultaneously outward focused so that we can be used by God. God works in the we, not just the I. We is actually mission, not I. God will work his mission out in the we not in the eye. And I hope you uh, don't miss the application to us as a church. I hope that you can track as a church by what we do, how we're structured, what we value, what you hear uh, through every platform we have, that this is something we value. That we've, we value the community collective aspect of what God is doing with us as a people because we understand the value of God moving in the we. And so it's why you will hear us talk about how important it is, how good it is, how valuable it is that we can meet together like this Sunday on Sunday. Do it consistently. 
Because the approach and the posture of walking in this door, if it's to come in and just receive and leave, can I tell you, you're only getting one aspect of the whole mosaic of what God has on offer for us. Because actually the posture in this church should be, I'm coming in, I'm gonna receive, that's great, but actually I'm coming to contribute. It's why we meet during the week in city groups where we get to do life with each other, build relationship together, because we understand that I'm not just here to consume, I'm here to contribute. That I'm here to do this together. That actually God didn't mean for me to do this alone, sitting out and just consuming content, but he called me to contribute and partner. That's why when we talk about the landing, hey, if you want to join this church, you join this church in partnership, not membership. Membership is, hey, I get something out of it. Partnership is, no, 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 I, I contribute. I partner together with the people that God has placed me in. It's why you, we will always use the phrase that this is the house of God, not the hotel of God. And so that means we serve together. And it's not because, hey, there's just work to get done and we need to make, you know, make things happen. No, no, it's because in our serving, actually we get served. That in our serving, we actually get to contribute to what God is doing with us as a people. There's no one in the family that should just get a free ride. All the parents know what that means. It's an application for us. Principle number two, coming out of this passage. Godly work requires holy rest. We're going to prep for big purpose from God. We need to get this right. And it's so funny. This is where Moses begins. Just as he's gathered all the people, he's about to call for the contribution to build the tabernacle. It's almost the moment where it's like, cool, the great work is here and now. Let's go. It's the moment where imagine a race is lined up. The gun is out, ready, set, rest. He, he short circuits the whole thing and says, hold on. First things first, let's talk about this. Verse 2. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. Think he's serious about it. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. And so before the call for contribution, before the great work, Moses will actually start out by reinstituting Sabbath regulations that the people of God had in the law. He says, before we do the great work, we need to understand that a mighty work is going to take mighty rest. It's going to take an understanding that we are to be a people who are resting in God so that we can be used by God in His work. I think we get this idea of rest and Sabbath rest wrong. Either we don't follow it at all and we do the classic just absolutely firing on all cylinders, claps in a pile. Or I think we misunderstand exactly what God is meaning when he talks about Sabbath rest. I had this moment where God convicted me of it because I really did get it wrong. Last year, I thought I had got into a pretty good uh, rhythm and uh, I had some self-awareness that I knew that, cool, my pattern is I'm a pretty productive, high-capacity person. I can go pretty hard for three or four months and then I need a time where we can disconnect and rest as a family, uh, get out, go get out of the city, do something take some rest and it actually follows the pattern that I think God shows us because actually he goes right back to God in creation where God institutes the Sabbath and says hey for six days God created he did all creation it was a great work it was a good work and on day seven as the work was done God now rested and so I thought hey you know I, I I'm, I'm modeling that and I think sometimes we do that we think well it just means we have to get our, our, our pattern right it means we just have to get the, the flow right. But 
as it got to April, May last year, getting to that end of uh, the productive time, the high energy output time, it felt like cool. Now's the time to disconnect and uh, thought it, was, it, w it would be good. And I had a moment which uh, the carpet just got pulled out from under me. God had to do some business because I think I had misunderstood what, what, the, what the actual plan was, what Sabbath rest actually looks like. And so we go out to Dulstrom. We have a holiday there. We had never d gone there before. If you know the area, it is beautiful. And it's a moment where you think, cool, this is proper disconnect. This is, uh, you know, me and Nikita and the kids, we're gonna have a great time. It's a week, I'm gonna play golf. All is gonna be great. We get to night two. Night two, we're actually uh, doing a braai. Could be nothing better. Uh, I'm outside getting a braai ready. I'm lighting a fire. We're in this stone cottage on a trout farm overlooking a lake. There's ducks playing. Uh, it's a beautiful sunset afternoon. Uh, the kids are not fighting, which when you have like a four-year-old and a two-year-old, that's a miracle in and of itself. I've got a beer in my hand. Like the glory of the Lord is here. It should be the perfect moment of rest. The picture dictionary meaning of rest. I'm having moments where I'm praying. Oh, Lord, thank you that I get to do it. It seems like it's all good. And then the carpet just got pulled out from under me. Because in the midst of that, my heart suddenly starts beating a thousand miles a minute. I'm sweating. I literally can't breathe. I don't know what the heck is happening. And actually what was happening was I was having the first anxiety attack I've ever had in my life. And the only one, thankfully, I've had so far. To the point where I, I thought I was dying. Didn't know what was happening. Nikita actually called her outside. Uh, she knew immediately what was happening. This is uh, the classic person who doesn't really struggle with anxiety and the person who knows it quite well going, this is an average Tuesday for me. What are we talking about? And I have no clue. And in that moment, I just felt like, how on earth am I in this space? How am I in this state in the surrounding and environment that I find myself? And all I said to Nikita was, just pray for me. And it subsided. And over the next couple of days, actually God would process with me that I had misunderstood and got this idea of rest wrong. And I think this is what we do. Because Hebrews 4.9 says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So this is not just some Old Testament principle, Old Testament law, it doesn't apply to us now. This is something that actually I think we need to grab a hold of and deeply understand. I thought I was modeling what God modeled in creation. Work really hard for six days, pedal down, go for it. Day seven, fall off a cliff in a pile and rest. Get yourself ready to do it again. If that's what we think rest looks like, Sabbath rest looks like, I think we've missed what God has said. Because whenever he talks about rest, he says rest in me. When he talks about rest, he says rest is actually a gift I give to you. It's not just getting the pattern right, the flow right. And when you take a deeper look at creation and the creation account of the seven days i think the mistake we've made and the misunderstanding we fall into is that we think the power is in day seven the power is in the one who gives the rest and so the power is in the one who can give us a sabbath and the real key comes in when we understand the order because the order isn't he rested on day one got himself ready level levels up energy ready to go ready for the work to get done the, the order is for six days he worked, great godly work, and on day seven he rested. But the question is, what did God rest in on day seven? He rested in a completed work. He rested in a work that had been finished. And if we 
are the temple of God, where we're able to carry the presence of God. Can I tell you, we now get a gift of rest from God that says we get to rest in work that has already been done. And the completed work we get to rest in is Jesus's work on the cross, where he actually said on the cross, it is finished. So it meant he hung on the cross, took on our sin, our shame, all of our guilt, died the death we should have so that our sins could be paid for, so that now in him we have life. And when he says, hey, rest in me, he says, rest in the completed work that I accomplished on the cross. And so that means the beautiful picture for us is that when we have a great godly work to do, we get to actually be in his rest pre the work, during the work, and after the work. It means that we walk this thing out so differently. It doesn't mean that we're now lazy. It doesn't mean that we lack productivity. In fact, it means the opposite. We should be the most productive people. We should be the people who walk out and get so much done because it's been empowered by God, but we come out the other side looking very different where we're not falling off a cliff, where we're not going down to a place where we're just in a pile. I had realized that the mistake I had made in that place in Dahlstrom was that I had made my default setting working really hard, high stress, high productivity, and then falling off to go and do it again. But the default setting for us is that in the high place of high stress, high productivity, high work, and the place of looking at some ducks in Dahlstrom, the default is actually Jesus gives us rest in both. So we get to walk this thing out very differently. He says, remember my rest. David even references it in 1 Chronicles 29, because he says this in verse two, then King David rose to his feet and said, hear me, my brothers and my people, I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant. We are now the tabernacle. We are now the temple. The Ark was the place that the presence would sit on. Can I tell you, you and me now are the place that the presence sits in. So it means we get to now be a house of rest set up to do the work of God because a mighty work is going to require mighty rest. A godly work is going to require godly rest. It's a gift given to us. Before we ever do anything for Jesus, we need to actually receive in Jesus his rest. It's why uh, I often tell teams about this um, here at City. The beautiful picture that we have in Jesus is that we get to uh, always work from a place of acceptance, not for acceptance. It actually is the Father's heart. My kids, I love them because of who they are, not what they do. And so I, was all, I will always make sure that they know they don't earn my love by what they do, by doing good things, by making me proud. The pure fact that they are son and daughter means that they have my love. And the picture for us is that we now get to sit in that place because of the finished work of, of Jesus, we have acceptance, we have rest, we have it before, we have it during, we have it after. It's not based on us working for it, it has actually been given and bought by Jesus for us. That's the picture. Next one is this, principle three, in prepping for big purpose from God. God's about people, not just a building. The entire series, we've looked at God's heart, His desire, and it has been consistent throughout. He first says in Exodus 25 verse 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell there in their midst. Fast forward, James looked at it, Revelation 21. 
he says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. I want you to know that God never changed. The plan's always there. He is the same. The same God we sang about. Exodus, beginning of the Bible. Revelation, the end. His heart has not changed. His desire has not changed. His heart is that he would dwell with us. And so it's always about people first. Now, how does that play out in places? Because places matter because people gather in places. And so it's important that we understand the focus because two things are evident. There are places where people will dwell and there are the people that God desires to dwell with. And where does God place the focus? He always places the focus on the people. Because what you see that doesn't change throughout scripture is God's desire to dwell with us as humanity. What does change, what is up for a, a change is the dwelling places. It's why he can dwell in creation. He dwells in a garden. He dwells in a temple, in a tabernacle. He dwells in a burning bush. He dwells and takes on flesh for us and now actually can dwell within me and you as men and women. And so the, the clear focus is that it's about people over the places. It doesn't mean the places don't matter. It just means the places matter all the more only because of the people. And we have to hold this tension too. We have to understand that the application for us is that we walk out in obedience and alignment. So meaning we will focus on what God has said, what God has called, and what God has asked us to do and walk in obedience to that. But we also understand the heart of God and want our hearts, our motives, our desires to be aligned with it. And so God calls us to uh, a great work in 2023, building a new auditorium. Can I tell you, if it's only just a good idea for us, we've missed it. If the, the whole plan is just because we think it's gonna be great, we've missed it. If we understand that God's called us to do it and that his heart is for a place for more people to experience his presence, we get to walk in obedience and have our hearts aligned with what he has asked. That's why actually Moses' words in the end of verse four, he says, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution. He makes it very clear this is not a Moses idea. This is not an idea of the elders of Israel. He says, I will remind you, this is a command that God has given us. I want you to know us walking into a great work in 2023, it's not a great idea of the elders. If it ever was, we've missed it. It's something God calls us to. And the question is, will we be, will we be aligned with his heart and would we walk it out in obedience to what he says? Because his desire is for people his, his his desire is that people would know his presence and so the place of that presence matters the place where the people dwell matters it means that we do it well it means we do it with excellence it's why even through the building of the tabernacle and the temple you're going to see it a little bit later there are skilled craftsmen there are masons there are uh, materials that are used that are of excellent quality but if it's just about the place we miss the people but if we understand that the place is the thing God's gonna to use to serve the people and bring them into his presence, we can hold the tension. It is never gonna be tent over people. It is never gonna be temple over people. It is always gonna be people over places. We have to hold the tension and get it right. Principle number four, godly work is preceded and pervaded by prayer. If we're gonna be prepped, we're going to be ready for big purpose from God. We have to know that our prayer has to be pervasive. Look at what David does. 
Verse 10 of uh, 1 Chronicles 29. It says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. He's going to model that before, during, and after the good work, the great work, we are to be pervasive in our prayer. And he's going to actually launch into a massive prayer that I'm going to take us through. And I hope you don't miss the elements that are evident in the prayer. Because I really believe they are evidence that they are elements that should be a part of our prayers for 2023 as a people. I'm going to put it up now. And we're going to go through it Bible study style. And so as we go along, I want to just highlight some of these elements and themes we're going to find. And as we highlight them, I hope you see it as a model and a picture for what uh, your prayer life could look like. There's an amazing thing that we get in God's word that we have so many prayers recorded. And they're not just there for posterity. They're not just there to be an encouragement. The amazing thing is these are actually prayers that we can now even pray ourselves. And so there is great power in praying scripture. And so I'd encourage you, if you want to take a moment this week in your city groups, alone, however you want to do it, take this prayer and let it be a model for your prayer for the week. Let it be the thing that preps our heart, preps us as a people going into Vision Sunday 2023. So he starts out in verse 11. He's going to start with praise. He says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in, hev- in the heavens and in the earth is yours. He starts by putting focus where focus needs to be, God and God alone. His glory, His praise, His honor. He then actually will acknowledge authority. He says, yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. So now it's not just praise for God and who He is, for His goodness, His greatness. It's actually saying, hey, that great God, you have authority over me. You have authority over us. Actually, it's about what you say, not us. It's about what you think, not us. It's about the call you make, not us. He then goes into a focus on blessing and a high of thanksgiving. It says, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. Now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. It's a heart of thanksgiving that says, I know every blessing I get is because I have been blessed by my God. You're a father who gives good gifts. I will thank you for every blessing because I know it comes from you. And then he takes a posture and it's a posture that we should have in prayer all the time. It's a posture of humility. Even in the, uh, in the context of a great work that would be done by the people, something that could be commended and, and encouraged, he will still take a posture of humility. He says this, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus, uh, thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. Our Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for, your build, for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. He takes the posture of humility that says, God, everything has come from you. Actually, everything we have received and now can give to you willingly, uh, it's just amazing that we get to be part of the story. It's a humble approach. He then calls for consecration. He, he, he acknowledges the, the heart, that hearts are to be purified. 
I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. And then he's going to end with a prayer for legacy. He's going to look back at generations that have come before that they were living in the legacy of and says, we get to now invest and contribute here and now, but we pray for those who will come. Because actually for David, he would be one who would give to this contribution, but never actually see construction get completed. And that's actually the story of us as a church. Many of you maybe are new to this. Can I tell you, this property was bought by a lot of people who sacrificed, and we have inherited it and, bear, and now get to see the fruit of their sacrifice, of their contribution. And many of those people are in different churches, different cities all over the world. They didn't get to see this now. But the beauty is we get called in in that space where now we get to contribute in a moment, but understand that the legacy that can come th um, through this and into future generations is something we get to be a part of, whether we see it or not. He says, O oh Lord our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the heart of your people and direct their hearts toward you. It's a prayer for legacy. It's a prayer for going forward. It's a prayer that actually uh, tees up the next principle. Number five, God's call draws out a willing heart. David's prayer actually will get answered in the response of the people. If we're gonna prep for big purpose from God, we need to understand that it is not accomplished by man, it is accomplished by God. The response of the people, the willing, the generous heart was something that didn't come out of their own strength. It actually was accomplished and drawn out by God alone. Moses says at the end of verse five, Who is, whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring to the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze. David says likewise, he starts with himself, tells of his investment, his contribution. So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able, the, God of, uh, the gold things for the gold things, the silver for the silver things, the bronze for the bronze things. And then at the end of verse five, he says, who then will offer willingly consecrating himself today to the Lord? The contribution, the offering of the people came out of God's command as he would now draw a willing, generous heart. It was an answer to David's prayer because it is accomplished in the power of God, not in the power of man. Verse 9, we see the result of that willing, generous heart that God has drawn out. It says, then the people rejoiced they had, uh, that they had given willingly for with a whole heart. I'll tell you the only one who can make a heart whole is God himself. A whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. When God's call comes, he will draw out the willing heart of his people because he's the one who knows how to do heart surgery on a heart that was broken, a heart that was of a stone, a heart that did seek its own ends. And he turns it, transforms it, changes it around so that now that heart is willing, that heart is free to give, that heart is generous. It is a miracle of God. But the amazing thing is the result when that happens is always one thing, great joy. We see joy in the people. We see joy in David as the king himself. Joy is always the response. And so the application for us is we need a willing heart. We need a generous heart. The primary need was not just a need of resource. The primary need of the people was that they needed a heart that was changed and turned by God. 
And so we need a heart that's likewise willing and generous, but that can only come through the power of God, not the power of us. That doesn't just come from an amazing marketing strategy. That doesn't come from uh, someone just getting an idea and, and thinking, hey, God, would you bless this? It comes from God changing a heart and drawing his people to it. Last, and that leads to our last one. Principle number six for prepping for big purpose from God. Godly provision completes God's vision. A couple of things I want to highlight. First thing I want to highlight is that vision always precedes provision. We see great evidence of the vision in the midst of this call for provision. The evidence is there. This was actually God's idea. God had commanded them to do this. We see this great organization in it. They had the designs, the plans, the layouts. They have an inventory of, of materials that they would need. And so there's excellence in what has gone into uh, the vision process. And I think this is where we miss it. If it was just a good idea that, God had, that, that people had and they went to God and said, God, would you bless this? I think that's what we do. We get a good idea and say, God, would you high five this? It seems like a good thing. They didn't do that. They started in vision before they went to provision. Because how often for us is the start, Lord, would you provide for this? Would you give opportunity for this, money for this, resource for this? Before we've even asked, was this a good idea or a God idea? We should be a people that first go and say, well, actually vision precedes provision. So let's go back to the vision and the vision giver and say, hey, God, would you give me a vision for this? Would you give me eyes that see through your lens? through what you want to see here so that we're walking in obedience and alignment to his heart. Because what is always true is that when there is vision from God, he will funnel provision to make it happen. When he gives his people a vision, he doesn't leave us to our own devices to just do it on our own. He says, hey, I've given you the vision, but know that I bring provision to it. I bring resource to it to make it happen second thing I want to highlight is that God accomplishes his purpose with people and through people and so when he gives the vision and he brings provision to it he could have chosen to bring provision in any way but the way he does it is calling people to the work we see he actually calls for labor for the work to be done it actually says in verse 10 let every skilled craftsman of you come and make all that the Lord has commanded And it's not just a few of the skillful craftsmen that get called in to do the work. I hope you don't miss that everyone is called in to do the work, that God actually chooses to accomplish his purpose through his people, all his people. Look how everyone is involved from 21. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred in him, everyone whose spirit was moved in him and brought the Lord's contribution. And then so they came, both men and women, every man dedicating offering of gold, everyone who possessed blue and, uh, and purple and scarlet yarns, everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it to the Lord's contribution. Everyone who possessed acacia wood for its use brought it. Every skillful woman spun with their hands and they brought what they had spun. The leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set. And then verse 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel. God accomplishes his purpose through people. It's how he chooses to do it. Understand, if he wanted to build a building, he could drop it out of thin air if he wanted to. But he chooses to do it through his people, all his people. 
But don't miss that it's not done in the midst of a manipulation or a twisting of an arm. It's actually not through the, the power of Moses and Davis, David in their communication and marketing skills. It's only done in the power of God saying, I'm calling you into this work. I'm gonna turn your heart to be generous, to give of, of your own free will. And it doesn't matter where you find yourself, whether you are the leader or not, whether you're man, woman, child, young, old, you are all called into the work and so what is in your hands can actually now be brought in a contribution to what is happening there were some who had gold in their hands they gave it there were some who only could only had wood but they gave it the big picture is that actually everyone was involved involved top to bottom last week I spoke about it uh, in the midst of our, our giving and offering time the amazing thing of us giving and contributing means that we get skin in the game it means that we can actually take ownership of the place and the people God has called us to. And we see it here referenced again. But understand it was still never under, uh, under compulsion or under manipulation or under an arm that had to be twisted. It was actually always done as, a heart, as, as people were cut to the heart, stirred in their heart so that they were called into the work that God had. As the band joins me on stage, I wanna go back to something I said in the beginning. I really do hope that we grab a hold of the power of we because we is where God will play out mission, not I. It's never in the me, it's always in the we. And I hope our focus has shifted as we are a people who are prepared for what God is calling us into in 2023, that we would understand the power that God moves in when we are a we when we see ourselves as part of the whole, when we understand that God's desires is personal, intimate relationship, but God's desire is also that we would move as a people forward, that we would make spaces in our places so that more people could come into his presence. I hope that you see that there is power when, pe when the people of God are united under one mission, under one spirit, under one heart, and under one God. And that's actually what we desire. Psalm 133 and Jesus, even in his high priestly prayer in John 17, tells us that when there's unity amongst God's people, it commands blessing. That when there is unity of heart, when we have heard from God and we walk it out in unity, in obedience, in alignment with God, he does amazing things. Because the tabernacle would get built, the tent would be built, the, the temple would get built. All of it to actually make spaces where people could dwell with God in His presence. And the amazing thing is He calls us to do the same today. It might look different, but the purpose is for us. And the question is, are we going to walk into it prepared? Or are we going to walk in unprepared with a heart that's not willing? Because God's He's done the work. We get to do this at, from a place of acceptance, not for acceptance. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to get ourselves ready to, to take communion. But just before we do that, the band's going to lead us just as we sing a part of this song. And I hope in this moment, you get a little time to be me. God, what are you saying to me? What are you calling on me? Would you prepare me for what is coming? And then we're going to transition into the we. And it's going to be a perfect segue and a perfect setting of the table going into Vision Sunday. Because Vision Sunday is all about the we. What is God saying to us? How are we getting there? And then we, as we take communion, we're going to look again at that finished work of Jesus. Remembering that He has made provision for us. 
So before we even get into the vision He has for us, the provision He'll bring to it, we remember the provision He had for us in salvation. And it means we get to respond in joy. It means we get to respond in worship. We're gonna sing. Let God do some business in your heart. Let's get ourselves prepared so that we can take a meal together, that we get to celebrate what Jesus did and that we get to launch into what God has for us in the new year. Let's sing together.